Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me. Hold your Bibles up. Cup your hands. Do something creative, innovative. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I I historically would not even bring this up, but I decided that when you look back at your past, if you don't look back and learn some things, then your past will haunt you instead of help you. Uh, The past that we share is never to haunt us, and it often haunts us because um, we haven't addressed it. Uh, In the past, I would not share my personal issues or life with you too much, but It's been a really strange week. Susan and I, in the last seven days, have lost five family members. Um, Two from her side and three from mine. And so it's been quite a ride. Uh, My uh, grandchildren's other grandfather passed away in Miami. I did his funeral last weekend. And then uh, I wake up Tuesday morning. My first cousin uh, in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, died. And then the next day... Our other cousin died, so it's been a it's been a really uh, bizarre uh, situation. So I just share that with you, just to appreciate your prayers. Uh, we're we're doing good. It's just a little strange, um, and you can pray for my my two grandsons in Miami. Uh, Josue, my son-in-law's father, was just a really great grandfather. I mean, he took the kids fishing. He took them every. He did all these swimming lessons and everything. He transitioned to heaven. He was a, a believer, and so he's in heaven, but uh, still makes it a little challenging. And uh, so Jesse and I, probably this year, last year, we don't even want to count uh, the number of family members that we've lost. And, uh, and I know so, so many of you have as well. But I share that with you because historically I fought most fights alone. I won't fight them alone ever again. And I appreciate your prayers and praying for Susan. And, you know, she comes from a very small family, so any loss to her is a great loss. Um, Her mom was an only child, and her dad was an only child. Kind of strange. But uh, anyway, so she suffered a a, a big loss last weekend as well. So thanks for your prayers. Doing a uh, series, if you will, a mini-series on influence. We're living in a day where uh, people are really on the search for answers uh, to questions that have never been asked. I mean, we, we're encountering things we've never encountered, uh, which means that people who believe in Jesus really have a great opportunity right now to reflect uh, our confidence, our faith, our trust, our mercy, our love, to really reflect who he is to a world that is really, uh, I think, quite chaotic. Um, and so... We can look at this as a really bad time in history, and certainly it has not been a good time. But even in all the bad times, 
if we will look, we will, we will see opportunities to have more influence and impact on people than we've ever had. In other words, uh, when people are freaked out, uh, it's not the time for Christians to freak out. When Jesus was on the earth, there, there was a lot of freak out. But we never read a scripture, and Jesus approached them totally freaked out. Because he was never freaked out. He communicated to the world in which he lived a confidence in God like no other. He never got upset. He never allowed circumstances and difficulty to dictate his attitude or his decision-making. He did the right thing at all times. He had a right response. And it made a difference in a world that was torn between kingdoms and uh, empires and things of that nature. And, and uh, Jesus was new on the religious scene, if you will. Everybody talked about Jehovah God, but, and, and they referred to one who would come. But the Jews saw that as one who would come and make this world right instead of getting this world ready for the next world. And that's what Jesus came to do, not to make everything right in this world. He came to let us know that everything would be all right with us, but this is not the world in which we're living for. We're, we're passing through, as Billy Graham used to say. I, I, this is not my home. I'm just passing through. But while we're passing through, we are commissioned to make a difference in other people's lives. And quite frankly, in a world that right now is so self-consumed, and, and to some degree, rightfully so, in that when I say that, it is so, uh, people are so focused on their, themselves, and, you know, am I going to die? Is COVID really, is there another strain? What's going to happen? And, and so that's turned us inward to a large degree. The fear has turned us inward, and fear always will turn you inward. It'll isolate you. It'll keep you up at night. It'll... It, it, it makes you feel like you're the only one going through what you're going through. But faith says it really doesn't matter what I'm facing. With God on my side, I know everything's going to be all right. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read this again. Paul said, I'm writing, and this is verse 14, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you... Do not have many fathers, for in Christ I became your father through the gospel. And the challenge in our world today, I believe, is that there is no respect from one person to another, or little respect, and there's certainly very little respect from children to fathers. And uh, maybe that's justified to some degree, but not biblically, because the Bible tells children to obey their parents, for it's the first commandment with a promise. So a lot of our children are going to miss out on the promise, not because they don't love God, but because they don't respect their parents. It's not in my notes, but I think it needs to be said. If you are, if you are 50 and your father right now is 75, you need to respect your father. And you can say, but he does, he's not worthy. Well, neither are you. Neither am I. None of us are worthy. And I understand there has been, let's just stay, let me, let me exempt those who have been abused a little bit here and say, I understand that that may be more difficult for you. But the reality is, if you go back and listen to Joyce Meyer's story, you'd say, well, maybe 
maybe I ought to follow that suit. You know, her father abused her and she, God instructed her to serve him and take care of him in his older age, and his older years. And it brought blessing to her because she honored the Bible. She was honoring the Bible more than even honoring her father. She was saying the Bible tells me to respect him and honor him. So in honoring him, really what she was doing was honoring the word of God. And so in a world that is in turmoil, they're watching our response to every crisis. How many of you know crises reveal who we are, really are? You can tell everybody, you know, when times are good, everything's good. But when times get chaotic, what kind of influence will you have on the people around you? Will you go crazy? Will you get chaotic? Will you get negative? Will you start talking about your problems? Will you... Because if you do, you're no different than the person who doesn't know God. What sets us apart is our faith in a God who sent his only son to empower us to address every negative, difficult, chaotic encounter with a faith that says, no matter what, I'm going to serve the Lord. Now, charismatics never like preaching on Job because Job would say things like, what I feared come upon me, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Those are biblical truths. And, and you know, so, but they don't like talking about Job, but Job, what he feared came upon him. Is that an indication you shouldn't fear things? You don't want something coming upon you that you don't want upon you. But then he says, even if God were, he's not, he's not saying God would slay him. He said, even if he did, he would be my God. That's how much he trusted him. So we're living in a day when people say, we don't know what's going to happen. We, you know, cashless society, inflation, the list goes on, COVID, da, 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 da. As believers, we just have to look and say, God's up to something. God will respond appropriately. And that's not the question. The question is, will we allow him to respond through us appropriately? Because we are the ones who are carrying the greatest story ever told. Will you tell the story or will you tell just your story? So with that said, pastors, you know, and and, and in certain denominations, they call the priest or the minister father. Now, we know there's only one father, but, but the, the, the word there is to, to indicate that someone's going to be there patriarchally or in patriarchal fashion to care. Uh, when, I was, when I turned 50, which was just a few years ago, um, I visited with one of the greatest ministers in, in my lifetime. I flew out to see him on the West Coast, and I asked him, I said, what, from this point forward, as a pastor, you've done this forever. Your father was your hero, and now you're your son's hero. Just a great guy. And during that conversation, I was asking him, what, what do we do with where we are today? Can you give me advice? I'm 50. I think I have some years left. And... Uh, in that conversation, what came to me, and I don't recall exactly how it came up, but we have evangelists, we have pastors, we have apostles, we have teachers. We have all these different communicators. But the church is really short on fathers. And in that conversation, I realized that the day would come that I would want to transition. I've trained leaders all over the world with John Maxwell. I've, 
I've preached all over the world from Australia to Cape Town to London and I've done all those things and it was a joy and it was fun. But the reality is if we look at a father's heart, a father's heart is always a redemptive heart. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of grace. It's a heart of mercy. It's a heart that believes in a child that's rebellious. It's a heart that believes in other people. It's a heart that says, I want to instruct, but not on a corporate level, on an individual level. I want to be available uh, as the Lord leads. And Paul's saying that to the church at Corinth. You have many guardians in Christ, but, but I've become your father. What Paul was saying is, I care about your personal life, not just your spiritual life. I care about your financial well-being, not just your spiritual well-being. Paul's saying, I care about every detail of your life. I don't care just about telling you the greatest story ever told, but getting that story imparted to you, influencing you with that story that, that will change your life and your response and reactions to chaos, chaos and adversity. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, Paul said. Now, in our world today, that would be perceived as arrogant. You're no better than I am. Paul wasn't saying he was any better than anybody else. Paul was saying, I have a relationship with Jesus that mandates that I communicate this way. Not everybody's called to be a pastor, a teacher, apostle, prophet. And quite frankly, I steered my kids away from it because I didn't want them to be in ministry. Because it's the hardest thing I've ever done. You're judged, you're criticized, you're attacked on Facebook, to your face, behind your back. I love what I do because I'm called to do it. But if you're not called to do this, it's the last job on earth you want. And as a result of that, I embraced the idea that there would be a transition for me to be more, uh, more like a father in my communication, which means I'm sharing my life, you're sharing your life, and we're sharing together in, in this moment. So the question that I want to try to answer today is how can I be most influential in the lives of those that God has entrusted to me? And oftentimes, the challenge with this is we are afraid to really create a connection with people. When I say connection, that means that we're fitted together, that we are cautious, careful, uh, yet open and honest. And that's a very hard place to live. It's a hard place to be. Who do I trust? Well, there's certainly you don't share everything with everybody. But just what Brandon was sharing this morning about prayer and surrender and submission, those are things when he said, you know, do something different. Whether you kneel, lift your hands, go into a room and sit down, turn out the lights, just to have that time with God. Doing something different that allows the influence of God's Spirit to become a part of the fabric of your soul so that when you reach out to people, the Spirit that you have received in you goes out toward them. If we are not full of the Holy Spirit, we're full of something else. And oftentimes, we're full of ourselves. I've never 
in my life up until seven years ago really been comfortable sharing my life in part because I'd never really taken a close look at my own life. Because when you look inside at yourself, you're going to find things you, that are unpleasant. There are parts of your life that are pre- preventing you from being everything God called you to be. Things in your life that are holding you back. And it wasn't until I realized that I had to do a, a, a deep inventory in my soul that I could truly be authentically me. Because I didn't even know who me was. So when I penned this message, um, I began to think, what's it going to take to connect with people on a level that causes you and those of you watching at home to really want to hear what's being said? I think sometimes we look at communicators, athletes, we look at musicians, we look at artists, and we see them on stage. And everything you see, for instance, in an NFL game on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, they're at their best. They practice, they've worked hard. So all you see is the excellence, the perfect patterns that are being run, the plays that are being called. But I'm going to tell you what you didn't see was Tuesday when they were messing up and fumbling and not running it right. And you didn't see that. All we see, the artists on stage, they sing in perfect pitch. They don't miss a beat. They don't miss a note. And, and yet, you didn't see them Thursday when they couldn't find that note. So all we see in the world and around us is this, this sense of perfection, beautiful skin, beautiful voices, beautiful. And so as a result of that, we connect at a very shallow level. They look right. They dress right. They're, clo- they're closed or pressed. Everything looks great. And we're missing so much depth in our relationships because we're afraid of who we are. And so certainly we're afraid to let anybody know who we are. I had an old preacher tell me one time, he said, Mark, things are never as good as they seem and they're never as bad as they seem. But most of the time, in a fallen world, we're fatalistic. We're negative. Because of sin. So what is it going to take to connect? Carnegie said using someone's name makes them feel important. They feel a stronger connection. Example, Ryan, can you do this for me? Instead of, hey, hey, would you come over here? The minute you start using somebody's name, you are starting a foundation of connection. It's so difficult. So I just I have trouble remembering people's names. That is demonic. Now I'm not saying you're bad. I'm, I have the same issue. It, we all do, and you know why I think because the thief knows if he can steal your name from my mind, that our connection is far less than what it could be if I used your name. We all like to hear our name. Well, except when we were kids and our mothers used our middle name with our first name. I knew when my middle name was called that it wasn't like come to dinner. I was the original Mark Anthony. So using their name, notice this. Jesus said, the Bible says his is the name above all names. It doesn't say he's the person above all persons, even though we know that to be true. 
But he says, if you call on my name, the power of the name of Jesus. You know, you can go to almost any government building, any public place. And, and I remember when the thunder first kicked off the season here and I was asked to open in prayer, which was unusual for an NBA team to have anybody open in prayer. So I was thankful that our city brought a team in and that we could pray. But when I was told how I had to pray, I couldn't use the name of Jesus. I could only use God. That bothered me a little bit. But I complied because I, I thought at least we're praying. We're acknowledging. So I wasn't going to get in a fight over it. But think about this just for a minute. That one name in all of the world creates more stir than any other name that exists on planet Earth. Now, we do have a lot of Jesuses now. But when you use the name Jesus, it sets off all kinds of alarms in a world that has fallen. There's something in a name. So if you really want to start connecting, so like for instance, you're married or you got kids. You don't call you, hey, knucklehead, get down here and clean up the kitchen. Well, that's not their name. If you have a son or a daughter, you say, you know, John, would you, would you please come and clean the kitchen? The fact that you use the name communicates a level of respect for that person and an awareness and knowledge of that relationship. Think about it this way. Jesus was rising in popularity. And why wouldn't you? He's healing lepers. He's doing all kinds of stuff. And so anywhere he went, people were following him. His every step, his every move. And one day he's walking through town. And you'll remember the story. There was, if you ever went to Sunday school, of course, we didn't have all the fancy stuff when I was a kid, but... You had the felt boards. Remember the felt boards? The old felt. You stuck things on there. A Sunday school teacher would. And I remember the story of, of Zacchaeus. Wee! Little Zacchaeus. Matter of fact, that was one of the trick things in, the, in Sunday school. It was the littlest guy in the Bible. Wee, wee little Zacchaeus. But here's what happens. So Jesus is strolling through town. Everybody's around him. Everybody's flocking around him. Zacchaeus couldn't see. So he goes and climbs a tree just to see Jesus. Now, Jesus walking by. He didn't look up in the tree. He said, hey, little midget. I know you're not supposed to use that word anymore. It's politically incorrect. Dwarf, little guy, whatever. Jesus didn't refer to his person. He said, Zacchaeus. Now, don't you think just for a moment. You ever thought about this? <clears throat> Zacchaeus going, he knows my name. It wasn't that he was just calling him out because he's up in a tree. He said, hey, little guy, come down here. I, I know you can't see me. I'm going to help you out. No, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Today, we're going to go to your house. Everybody focuses on Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, but you're missing the point. He knew his name. Now, I've never thought, how did Jesus know his name? Well, he's Jesus. He knows everybody. That's not the most important. The most important thing is that he used his name. You really want to make a connection with people, do your best to, to know their name. And use their name. I love it when, 
when I get a text from my wife and she says, I love you, Mark. It's even better than I love you, honey, because my name ain't honey. I like it when she uses my name. It just kind of gets all over me a little bit. I love you, Mark. Matter of fact, I, I may say that a few more times. i just feeling good. Second thing is not just using people's names, but asking questions. How many of you have ever been in a conversation that really wasn't a conversation? <laughs> it was somebody telling you their life story. Now, I, I could be guilty of this because I'm a talker. And what I've had to do consciously is change how I think. I have to ask more questions. When's the last time you asked somebody a question about their life. And I know why you didn't, because you know they're going to give you the whole story from birth on. Well, you know, I had a hard time coming out of the womb. I remember well. It was dark, it was cold, and there were lights everywhere. You look back at the story of Elisha. He ran into this woman and he said, How can I help you? Tell me what, what do you have in your house. So how can I help you? You remember the story. She's going to make her last meal. She's going to die. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Well, the question produced the answer that he needed to do the miracle that God had put in him. So I want to do something this week. I I want two things to happen this week. I want you, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home, when you see your neighbor... I want you to think about how many times you're going to use their name. Good to see you, Bill. Hey, Bill, what's been going on in your world? Let Bill tell you. And they say, well, Bill, it was just great having time with you. I'm just going to tell you right now, we don't use people's names enough, and we don't ask enough questions. People like to hear their name, and they like to tell their story. When's the last time you came home from work and looked at your spouse and said, Hi there, Susan. How was your day? I know she's probably going to look at you and say, okay, what did you do? But if you just ask that question with that way, how was your day? Just start telling her, well, Susan, I am so glad to hear it was a good day. Tell me more. All of a sudden, you, you're showing an interest in somebody else's life. If you want to have influence, it doesn't come because you have a master's degree, a doctoral degree. It doesn't come because you're the boss or you have great position or status. True connection comes when you address another person by their name with respect and give them an opportunity to share something with you. Most of the time, we want to interact with people and tell them our story. There's nothing wrong with telling your story, but you're going to find out things you never really thought you would know or find out by simply asking questions. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Jesus was always asking questions. Have you noticed that? Always asking questions. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging when he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. What kind of business were they in? They thought they were protecting Jesus from some blind, schizophrenic, bipolar person on the side of the street. And they're shutting him up. Jesus said, hold on, hold on. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus always making a connection. We have to follow our leader, and his name is Jesus. Call people by name. Ask more questions. Most people spend their whole life manipulating others into what they want instead of leading others into what they need. We try to get our way. We try to be nice. We try to massage the conversation to fit our need instead of addressing others and finding out what their need is because that's what Jesus was always doing. You have no friends? Let me tell you why you have no friends. Because you don't ask enough questions. All you ever do is come and they're tired of hearing your story over and over and over again. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your story, but give other people an opportunity. Jesus was always giving opportunity for people to tell their story or their need or their pain or their hurt. Because he knew he had the answer. He was confident that his father would take care of every need. In a world that's filled with rules, especially now during this mask mandate, that I've never ever in my lifetime seen such debate and animosity over a piece of paper that goes on your face or doesn't go on your face. I've learned a lot about humanity. I mean, people get in fights over this. They just need a Red Bull. I've said this many times, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Or it could go, rules without connection leads to rebellion. It's funny, if you tell someone to do something versus asking someone to do something. And most of the time, when I'm addressing this issue, it, it's parents and kids. You know, you got a 13-year-old, and you don't feel like you have to ask them to do anything. Because after all... You're Charles in charge. You're mom, your dad. You want your kids, and this is, I wish I could tell you I was extremely successful at a lot of the things I say. I haven't historically been. But I've learned over time that if you ask someone to do something, it lands on them a little differently than telling them to do something. Have you noticed that? You feel a little dehumanized when somebody that's more powerful than you or more position, has greater position or power than you comes up and says, now, go do this. I never tell Jesse to preach for me. I always ask Jesse to preach for me. I respect him. Even though there are times I know I cannot, ha I cannot hear a no, like last weekend. I didn't call Jesse and say, you've got to preach for me tomorrow. I said, could you preach for me tomorrow? Here's what's been going on in my world. And, of course, he said, anything I can do for you. It's mutual respect. 
And so I just want to, I want to challenge you this week as I prepare to close. Number one, start using other people's names. And intentionally do it. Secondly, monitor how many times you ask a question versus issue a mandate. Because we're living, I'm just going to tell you, the problem in our world today is when you tell people who are free they've got to do something that violates that freedom, that's the reason we have anger today. We haven't asked people to do anything. We've got a government that's mandating everything, and I'm just going to tell you it won't work. It will not work. You'll have a, a country filled with free people that will say, I'd rather die than give up my freedoms. Because once you've tasted freedom, it's over. Now, if you go to a country that's never been free, they don't get it. They, they're just used to living that way, but not America. And so we're in a time where being polite is at an all-time high, needs to be at an all-time high. Being polite. For instance, those of you who don't wear masks, it'd be polite to say, do, do you mind if I not wear one? Versus, y'all so stupid. Don't you know that spray's going to come through there? It ain't going to fix anything. That's, you hear that a lot. Instead of saying, well, you know, do you mind? What would you think if? Would you care? What can I do to help? Your kids will have you drug tested if you start this. They haven't had a question asked since they've been born. Why? Because you're mom and dad. You got a title. You're the boss. You don't have to ask an employee to do something. That's what they get paid to do. That's the mentality of fallen human beings. Redeemed, born again, God-loving, God-fearing people have a humility that disarms the people around them. It doesn't work as fast, but the long-term impact and influence and effect is dramatic. Now, again, I used to be a driver, real hard driver, and then I heard these words, just give people enough rope. If they need to hang themselves, they will. In other words, don't be the henchman of somebody else's life. Give them that opportunity. Now, hopefully they won't do it, but... You got to give some time. You got to ask a lot of questions. You got to call people by name and quit calling them names. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, Pool of Bethesda. We've heard this story. There was a great number of disabled people, blind, lame, paralyzed. And when the waters would stir, the first one in would get healed. So there was one who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, who asked that question? 38 years, you know the guy wants to get well. He's laying there every day, but he can't get up fast enough to get to the pool. But Jesus says, I want to create a connection. I want to know what he wants. What if I'm assuming that he wants to be well? He might have just been sunbathing. 
No, Jesus, I'm all cool. I get free food. Everything's great. I get up here every day. I got my sunspot right here. I like how I'm living. Jesus assumed nothing. And that's one of the big problems we assume. We know what somebody wants. And so we start fixing everybody. And they go, sometimes you're fixing the wrong people. And sometimes God doesn't want you to fix them. He wants to fix them. And the only way they can truly be fixed is they have to fix themselves. You can't fix them anyway. So Jesus says, do you want to be fixed, basically? I could pick you up. Matter of fact, I could just look at you and levitate you into the water if I wanted to. Don't get freaked out by that. Some people just go, oh, my gosh, you're talking about that. He's Jesus. He's the one who parts the Red Sea. He can do whatever he wants. Jesus could have moved him in the water. Jesus could have paralyzed everybody else so they couldn't get in the water. He could have done a lot of things, but he said, do, do you want to get well? Because some people don't want to get well. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever, I've asked that question before. Well, I really don't want to stop. <laughs> okay. Because I can't fix you. I can't make you get well. I can't make you saved. I can't do any of those things. All I can say is, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to get well? Do you want to live a happy life? Do you want to know peace? You know, there are people who don't even want peace. They don't even know it, but they don't want peace. They're so used to drama that every word out of their mouth begins with a drama. I was over here just during worship, and I had this moment, and it's like God said, you know, I mean, this is my impression in my heart. Don't talk about things that bother you just because they bother you. Don't let the devil know what bothers you. Just say, look to me. Because I, so I, I start thinking there are, there are things you want to say to somebody that are not productive. You're a tattletale. How many of you know you, you don't stop being a tattletale just because you graduate high school? Yeah. You know, there was always that tattletale in school all the way through. But some of y'all are tattletales. You're always tattling. I, God, I can't believe what they did to me. I can't. I can hurt my feelings. Tattletale. Why don't you go to God and say, God, you know what? I'm just praying for this person. They're so awesome. I know they're fearfully and wonderfully made, created in your image and likeness. I know that you have great things for them. Some of you right now are going, you're just nuts. No, what I'm telling you is you want people to change. You cannot change them, but you can influence them to change. You see, pain doesn't even make us change. Pain just lets us know that we should probably change. You don't change because of pain, but pain points us in the direction of change. And some people don't want to change. They don't want to feel better. You say, well, that's nuts. It's true. So, two things this week. I want you to, I want you to intentionally address the people you know, your boss, your spouse, your kids, by name. Their name. Secondly, I want, you to, I want you to focus every day this week on asking questions. And some of you are going to have to write them down because you haven't asked questions so long. Don't elbow your husband's wives right now, I know. You don't ask any questions. Honey, how did you feel about that? What do you think? What would you want me to do for you? How can I help you? They're going to freak out. People literally are going to go, okay, what's up? Did you ding the car? Did you have a wreck? What did you do? Why? Because all of a sudden, how many of you know it's polite to ask questions? This is only the first step in this series, connection. 
If you want to create a connection, use their name intentionally by design and ask questions. There's more where that came from, but I'm going to close. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us your name. You said your name (coughs) is the name above every name. So, Lord, we know that you've given us the opportunity to name our children, given other people names that we know. May we use them to respect them, to include them, to influence them. Because when you know somebody's name, they'll listen. Help us, Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want all of you to pray this prayer with me. We never like to close any service without giving people an opportunity to know Jesus. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer and die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. I call on your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, please text the word SAVE to 405-500-1310. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.